Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care. My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health. And it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. Welcome back to another episode of the Patient No Longer podcast. As summer is heating up, we've got all kinds of challenges around us. The healthcare industry is heating up too as we emerge from COVID and deal with inflation and reimbursement and all of those interesting challenges. And we've got a fantastic guest today, Dan Collard, who is the co-founder and partner of the Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Dan is a healthcare veteran. He's got his experience as a healthcare operator. He spent the last 18 years in coaching and consulting. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to dig in. and I want to start with what we've seen you do this year. And the context of that, for a lot of the listeners, this will be familiar, is We've seen these terms like burnout and resiliency and just all the ways we've tried to deal with what's happened the last two years. And honestly, we've run those terms into the ground. It's like beating a dead horse. And so recently, you and I have talked about this need for healthcare to find its replenishment. And that really caught me because replenishment is not a word that I had heard just yet. And it's a word you've been using quite a bit. Can you explain what replenishment of healthcare means to you? Sure. And I'll start where you actually began with the whole notion of burnout and resiliency. You know, well before the pandemic, folks were beginning to pay attention to the concept of burnout. But like so many things in healthcare, there were a lot of folks paying attention to it, not a lot of folks actually doing something about it. Then, of course, we slid headlong into the pandemic. And the two organizations that seemed to make out really well in the beginning were the pizza companies and the sign companies, because we were throwing more pizza parties for healthcare workers than we ever had before. And We had healthcare heroes work here. And, you know, it was such good intention, both of those, some early giving back as we slid into something that we had not faced in this generation of healthcare. But then this word resiliency sort of started to become the tag word, the buzzword. And you'd see caricatures of clinicians and their scrubs with the Superman logo or with a Wonder Woman logo. And you'd talk about how resilient we are as an industry. And as we've looked back a little bit, the thing that bothers most clinicians about the term resiliency or being asked to be resilient is it really means you just got to keep going. You know, it's sort of, you know, suck it up, buttercup, and you're on to the next shift. With resiliency, there's no pause. And so there are a couple of things that sort of led us to today. Number one, there's real power in the pause. There's real power in that taking that breath. As we have led a a very vibrant conversation about well-being, stress, and trauma, because we think a lot of what the industry has gone through is not necessarily stress, but trauma, there's real power in that pause. I can't tell you how many clinicians, whether they're respiratory therapists or nurses or physicians, that they just sort of give you that wrinkled up look on their face when they hear the word resiliency. And so we've really happened upon this whole notion of the concept of you can't give what you don't have. It's hard. We use this thought sometimes in leadership of pouring into each other, pouring into our staff. And you can't pour out of an empty cup. And so you referenced the event we've had now. This will be our second event coming up. And it's called 
replenishing yourself, your team, and your organization. And there's a real deliberateness about the order there because all too often, leaders have always been so good in healthcare about being mindful of taking care of their team, taking care of their staff. But what we've found is that leaders haven't been taking care of themselves. And so instead of just being a resilient leader, why not think about some deliberate, well-designed exercises to replenish, replenish the leader first, so that in turn, the leader can replenish their team. And ultimately, per the name of your podcast and the theme that you've had over the last 20 some odd episodes is how do we provide better patient care? Because if we have you know burned out leaders, if we have burned out staff, we ask the question, what does that mean in terms of patient care? So this all gets us right back to most of our original why of why we got into healthcare to begin with, and it's to provide better patient care. I want to dig in on something you said. I completely follow that chain of events, and you really beautifully crafted it from that individual clinician all the way through the organizational structure. And then, of course, why do those organizations exist to provide patient care? And it's interesting, the leaders that I've talked to have done just what you've said. They've often, you know, I'm trying to dig in on how they feel as leaders going through all this, and they just defer, defer, defer. They start talking about their team, which, you know, good leaders always do. But it's like, you've really got to bring it back around and say, as a leader, for a second, let's not talk about the nursing shortage, or for a second, let's not talk about burnout on the floors. How as a leader are you doing? And are you ready, you know, one foot out the door? Do you feel that you've had a particular way to get leaders to open up to you? I mean, have you done that same song and dance over the last two years trying to get the heart of where leaders are? Because we just don't talk about it that much. Yeah. And I think we can actually, again, we can start pre-pandemic. There's an image I've used on a number of my presentations over the course of time. And it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek ad for Jansport backpacks. And it was a backpack that was probably 50 times the size of a normal backpack. And the guy that was wearing it was all hunched over, bent over because of the weight of the backpack. And I've always entitled that slide, A Day in the Life of a Healthcare Leader. And here's where that concept really comes from is senior leaders, as executive leaders, for so long, we've sort of unwittingly kept putting rocks into leaders' backpacks without ever pausing and saying, what rock can I take out of your backpack? You know, it's the functional skills, it's the how we run our organization. But then we go off on a tangent with a new initiative or a new program. There's one more rock in a leader's backpack. Often when I'm speaking with a group of leaders, just last week in New Jersey, I asked a group of leaders, how many of you operate in some sort of to-do list, whether it's electronic, whether it's your day planner, whether it's sticky notes on your cabinets. And of course, all the hands go up. And then I ask, well, how many of you that have to-do lists also have to-stop lists? Because we also, as an industry, just tend to do things the way we do them because that's the way we've always done them. And so to your question, that's really where we start is with that senior leadership team to just pause and say, are we doing things today that we could pause or we could stop doing and lighten the load a little bit for these middle leaders? Because when push comes to shove, not unlike healthcare pre-pandemic, The real key here is that middle leadership, those directors and managers, they're not frontline, they're not senior leaders, but it's a truism and it's even more true today that the organizations with the best middle leaders win. And so to get there, we've got to think about lightening their load. We've got to think about, are there some things that we can take out of their backpacks today? And that really begins the conversation around replenishment. And then number two, There are just some conversations. A lot of times we all think it's a great idea. We're thinking about, you know, how are we taking care of the team? How are we taking care of the staff, et cetera? 
but are we having the conversations to actually create that? And so a couple of things that we've suggested is every once in a while, it's just great when you're having a director's meeting or a manager's meeting, just put the question on the table because it seems like two years ago is a decade ago now. And what we've also found is there's a number of brand new leaders in our industry that have come into leadership during the pandemic. So this has been their normal. But you just ask a couple of questions. Number one, why did you get into healthcare to begin with? Sometimes just having folks recall that origin, if you will, of why did I get into this industry? Because in some cases, especially the non-clinical cases, I could work anywhere. I could work in a number of industries. But for some reason, that CFO said, you know, here's why I work in healthcare. Second question is, why do you work in this organization? You could work at, especially in some of these larger markets, you could work in any number of organizations, but why do you work here? And then the third one, which is really one of the most important questions is why do you stay? So why'd you get into healthcare? Why this organization? And why do you stay? And what we have found is just cracking open those conversations have been so helpful to sort of return people to the roots of their passion, the roots of why they got into this to begin with. As simple as it sounds, those are three really simple conversations that we have seen pay dividends in organizations. Now, the key there is that begins with senior leadership with the directors and managers. And then it's really important then that the directors and managers take that down to the staff level. Because when we think about this whole burnout and resiliency sort of order of things, these folks have just been working their tails off. They work a shift, they go home, they come back and they work a shift. And it's been sort of nose down, shoulders forward. And then you have to ask yourself the question, when's the last time we just reminded ourselves why we're here? Those are a couple of real simple ways to get started. I think that's so powerful too, this idea of why are you here? And I think we always assume that people self-reflect on that. And we also know in healthcare that there's some pretty strong conviction as to why people got into the healthcare industry to save lives and to change lives and to restore health. And any way we can rediscover that is powerful. Your challenge that you painted between the workers on the floor making it happen and the senior leadership who, you know, I have the opportunity to talk to a lot. You do have those middle management that kind of feel like the middle child. I mean, they're getting squeezed out between the focus down here and up there. And anything we can do to restore or replenish that I think is powerful. One thing that I hear people talking about just you know, in the last few months, now that, you know, hopefully we're over our last big wave of COVID, knock on wood, what are we going to do next? I've heard from some people, some leaders saying, we really need to recapture our mission and take a strong look at that, sort of away from the top down to restore what we do. Where do you come out on that? Because I've got some folks saying we need to really look at our mission and our vision and our values as part of this restorative work. And I've got other people saying that's the last thing we need to work on right now. We've got serious problems on our day in, day out. Where do you net out on that approach? Oftentimes, it depends on the organization. Just a couple months ago, we were asked by an organization to come in and help them recast their entire mission, vision, values approach there. And it really was more of a timing perspective there. The challenge is to always make sure that the mission, the vision, values aren't just those plaques that hang on the walls, but actually live up and down the halls. And It's sort of that adage, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And so there's a lot of organizations sort of rethinking that. And whether they go about recasting the entire mission statement or not, it's at least, again, having the conversations. 
you know, a long time ago when ACHE started doing the top issues facing CEOs, sort of the CEO's top 10 list, it was sort of interesting. The first couple of years, neither the patients nor the employees were on the to-do list. And most of it, again, no malintention, whether it was vertical integration, whether it was reimbursement, whether it was regulatory issues, those were a lot of big, big rocks in senior leaders' backpack. But it was just so interesting that the employees and the patients weren't illustrated, weren't represented on the to-do list. They are today. And so just by having these kinds of conversations, we often find that folks will say, gosh, it's great to know we're on the to-do list. It's great to know that the senior leaders really are paying attention to this. Not that they've not paid attention to it, but sometimes you just have to be so overt with the way you communicate it to make sure people know really, really well that they're on your to-do list. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And so let's go down that to-do list because we've done a fair amount of covering, you know, all the ins and outs that's going on inside the organization. But I do want to talk about the patient side of that and what is now on May the to-do list. And we've seen such incredible innovation. We were talking about this just recently about, you know, what we've seen in terms of innovation virtually during COVID and all the things that probably would have taken 10 or 15 normal years that had to happen in a flash. But through all that innovation, and complexity that we're dealing with. You know, one thing I think about is the physician-patient bond. You've done a lot of work with physicians specifically over the years in coaching and in leadership and on the financial side and understanding that complex machine of physician-led care. And sometimes the physician-patient bond gets left behind. What kind of shape is that bond in today, in 2022? And if you will, What are some of the things we need to do to restore and rejuvenate that specifically? It's interesting because a lot of the things that you're raising are the ideas that folks have come to us for in the last eight, nine months. Just recently, I spoke to a large physician leadership team out in Colorado that's part of a division of a much larger health system. And, you know, a lot of times folks will say, well, the docs are a little different or the docs might not be as prone to these kinds of conversations. And interestingly enough, the three exercises that I just gave you a while ago, I led the physicians through. And I got to tell you, I mean, these are folks that spend, you know, anywhere from 12 to 13, 14 years in school just to get to where they want to be as a practicing physician. There is almost never a time that we hold those kinds of conversations where we just don't hear some amazing stories. And at the same time, we hear from the physicians, you know, it's been a while since I even thought about that. I remember when a hospital saved my parents' life or my grandfather's life, and I thought right then I was going to be a physician, or my dad was a physician, my mom was a physician. You know, all of them can trace their roots back there. What we found is the physicians really are no different. Now, here's perhaps the point of differentiation that we really have to pay attention to. As we've thought of the impact of the pandemic, we created a survey with an academic medical center in the Midwest really focusing on the impact, the well-being, if you will. So it's sort of a well-being assessment. And we asked a number of questions that you would normally think about asking. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough family balance there? But there was a question that we asked on there. We asked the physicians and the advanced practice clinicians about self-medication. And what we found was of those that responded to the survey, 34% of them said that they had experienced an increased use of tobacco, alcohol, and cannabis throughout the time of the pandemic. But that's not the end of the answer. The end of the answer is they also tend to be, in our industry, those that are least 
likely to reach out for help. And there are a number of sort of subtexts to that. Number one, as a doc, I might not reach out because I don't want anybody to know I'm reaching out. It's my reputation. It's my license. We found physicians that if they had to go through their own insurance company, were less likely to reach out because there was sort of a trail there. Down in the panhandle of Florida, a local medical society created, if you will, sort of their own self-funded well-being product so that the physicians and the advanced practice clinicians could access these well-being resources, these mental health resources, without going through the traditional EAP or the traditional insurance. So you really have those opportunities. You have the physicians that absolutely like and enjoy and have found value in partaking in replenishing exercises. But at the same time, you have to recognize they're the least likely to reach out for help. It's too easy to look at physicians just in the role that they do day to day and how that infers itself into patient-centered care and all the things we talk about. But they're people too. I mean, it shouldn't have to be stated, but it's so true. It is. Uh, you know, this hit very close to home. Before we created our new company in August, I spent the last three years in a very large physician practice with about 16,000 providers, all in all, emergency medicine, hospital medicine, anesthesia. And the very first physician that died of COVID was one of our colleagues. And what made it really close to home and what made it even more bittersweet, this guy was one of the most positive guys you'd ever meet in your life. He was a two-time cancer survivor, had been published on the concept of burnout and on the psychology of positivity. I mean, you couldn't help but be in the room with this guy for five minutes and just feel better about life. And he yeah. was the first one we lost to COVID there and just sort of shines a spotlight on the observations you're making about the docs. No, it's just so true. And that's hard to hear, but I think it also raises awareness of the physician-patient bond includes human beings on both sides. And I think it's so powerful too, to think about where that can go. You know, you and I were talking earlier about virtual care and just the growth and the explosion of that. We were talking about that offline, but I think everybody's lived through that. For those who are in healthcare organizations, they have absolutely seen that grow. And then they've seen in many cases it drop. The physicians you've talked to since you're so front and center with them, where do they stand on virtual care or telemedicine or just those sorts of interaction with patients from this point forward? Are they still excited about it? Is it sort of, uh, we needed it, now we don't? Where are they at with that? Well, I think there was always the conventional wisdom that it had a growing and a necessary role in healthcare. And much like your co-author, Dr. Clasco, there's a lot of folks have been talking about it in a long time. And as happens in our industry so often, you know, necessity is sort of the mother of invention. And for instance, what we would call SNFs, post-acute physicians that were literally locked out of skilled nursing facilities, nursing homes, assisted living centers. They were locked out during the pandemic. They couldn't get in. They pivoted in some of the most quick fashion into a virtual environment through the use of tablets or phones, et cetera, et cetera. You had this growing sense of telemedicine for ease, convenience, and you had it being driven by a lot of the payer side folks there as well. And I think the pandemic really opened up that opportunity for us to say, hey, how does this become a not only a necessary, but a permanent part of our health continuum? Now, as you just referenced, it seemed to be this big wave of the use of virtual medicine and sort of starts to tail off. Right, and unfortunately, right. like so often happens in our industry, you just have to follow the money. So the question is, are folks going to be reimbursed for it? Is, is it going to be seen as an appropriate part of primary care or urgent care? 
and thus be reimbursed just like it would if you were walking in a brick and mortar organization like that. What I can tell you is there are a number of physicians that really, really enjoyed providing that kind of care because they knew they could speed up the care for the patients. It gave them just almost as much an intimate, a one-on-one sort of setting with the patient. And we sort of take for granted, it's not that long-term he or she has been my doctor forever. But with the advent of technology, there's very little barrier to that kind of care. It's incredible too. At NRC Health, we were asking specifically people who really prefer physical in-person visits. We were asking as consumers what happened when they were forced to do virtual. And, you know, surprisingly, almost three-fourths of them were satisfied with the virtual visit because they could do it from home. And I'll never forget a comment from someone that said, you know, when I did go in, my doctor would stare at a screen and not look at me. And now I'm the screen. And so that was kind of a refreshing angle on this. I got to ask you one more thing about the docs, because you were talking about those three questions, and I love that format. But the last question is, why do you stay? Do you get any interesting answers from docs right now? Because I think Speaking for senior leadership, and you know this within the C-suite, there's a lot of concern about physicians deciding to leave early and take that retirement a little earlier than they initially planned. Are you getting that sense from docs right now who are still in it and have made it through COVID? Are they just dying to get out and can't wait to just retire? Or do you get a sense for some of this, you know, as you call replenishment, is some of that taking hold? Do we think that some of those people will actually stick around as long as they want it to? Where do we stand on that? I think the nurses have beat the doc to the door. As you take a look at the industry, as you take a look at those that have clearly been part of, whether you call it the great resignation or just the mass exodus there, the nurses have beat the physicians to the door. And in so many cases, for all the right reasons. With physicians, I just tend to get the sense that, my gosh, I didn't invest this much time of my life to take off early. Now, it's also a varying answer by generation of Position, But I just tend to get a sense that, especially that they sort of see the light, they know the light's not a train coming at them, that there are opportunities to stay and flourish. There are a number of gifts that we've gotten from the pandemic. And one of the gifts you've referenced already is the gift of innovation. I think we're going to see the next wave of probably greater innovation than in a lot of years from our physicians coming out of this you know, last two, two and a half years. I hope you're right. And I get that sense too. I mean, I think some of those big fears were that people would take off as soon as COVID was over. And one of the most interesting things is when is COVID over, right? I mean, it's going to be a slow off-ramp and I think you'll get some physicians reinvigorated by some of these things that we've had to go through and and getting back to the heart of what they wanted to do in the first place. I have to ask you from a general sense, this is another thing that we get through our interactions with a lot of folks is everybody's overwhelmed. It's not just the physicians. You reference the nurses. We reference the leaders, the middle managers. But really, as an organization, it's really tough to figure out what do we do? You know, I've even heard the phrase nothing new in 22. When you're going out and working with people creatively, how are you talking to them in the summer of 2022, where it is so easy to just sit back and say, look at the chaos, Dan. We can't do anything new right now. Are there ways that you've found that other people that are listening, you know, even with the, inside their organization, that people can kind of nudge people into action at a time where if you do take action, it can be really powerful, but you have every excuse in the book to not take action. So it sounds like you've actually been sneaking into all my trips lately. Like these are exactly the conversations we're having out there. So there's a question that we've heard a number of times. When do we get to hold people accountable again? 
And that's a real interesting question if you listen through the words, not just at the words. So in the very work that NRC does so well across the country, as we measure the voice of the patient, the patient experience, they're not the old patient SAT scores, not the one through fives, but the real experience of the patient. We've seen some organizations maintain their performance quite well, but we've seen probably the vast majority of folks tell us that we've seen some slippage. That tends to be the phrase we hear a lot. We've slipped a little here. Employee engagement or employee experience, something similar. And you could almost say, well, gosh, we'd expect it. So maybe what we have to do is get better at asking the right questions and not thinking about asking the same questions over and over. But that question, when do we get to start holding folks accountable is one that's sort of rearing its head an awful lot. Now, to the point of the overwhelmedness and the nothing new in 22, I couldn't agree more. I actually think we have an opportunity today, again, as a gift from the last two and a half years to simplify. Uh, We've had a number of organizations come back to us and say, hey, shouldn't it be just sort of a back to the basics approach? Could we get back to doing what we did? You know, we learned these tactics. We learned these techniques 10 years ago. Could we get back to the basics? And I think there's a lot of opportunity, again, the power and the pause for leaders to say, really ask two questions. Well, one, what if a number of your leaders weren't there for the basics? We've got to make sure they don't feel like they're constantly seven years behind the rest of the leaders that have all these acronyms and phrases and, you know, the way we talk about tools and tactics, et cetera. So what if the leaders weren't there when they were basics? And two, what if the basics have changed? And I think that's probably our largest opportunity today. And I'll give you maybe just one or two examples. In a previous organization, we coached a lot around this tactic of rounding. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because the very essence of rounding had its you know, sort of origin in that relationship between a supervisor and an employee, I'm talking about rounding on staff, the relationship was centered. And for some reason, over the course of time, tactics like rounding on staff have become these clipboard-laden checklists, these tactics. I almost feel like I've got to ask a dozen questions to satisfy somebody up the org chart to make sure that I'm asking the questions. So two things happen. The person that's getting rounded upon can sense whether that's an authentic conversation or not. Two, it was never designed to be a a checklist or a a check the box approach to questions. And so what we've been suggesting is, why don't we just take it back to the origin? What if a supervisor rounding on a staff member consisted of one really important question? And that's all about the work day that day. What's your work experience like? Do you have what you need to practice your discipline? Just one question. And what if for a while we didn't pay as much attention to the documentation, the checking it on the software, checking it on the log, et cetera, as much as we did, we asked the question, what'd you learn today? As a manager, if I'm out rounding on my staff and I'm only asking them that one question, at the end of the day, can I sort of sit back and say, what did I learn today? Same thing for nurse leaders, as we think of the full plate syndrome. You know, there's no one that has a fuller plate today in all likelihood than a nurse leader. And so what if as the nurse leaders round on the patients, they ask one question as opposed to five or six questions, and then they can take the learning and actually do something with it. And it's not a gotcha. It's not a checklist there as well. Ways of approaching patient experience, you know, there are acronyms, there are different phrases. 
But in the last two and a half years, what we've really learned is that it's all about patient anxiety. So what if we can really focus on one tool, one tactic to reduce patient anxiety? Because here are a couple things that we know, especially for those of us that are non-clinicians, this is a way that we make a connect to there. If I reduce a patient's anxiety, I build that patient's trust. And if I build that patient's trust, I create in a patient a better listener. And if I create a better listener, I create a patient that becomes more compliant with whatever the clinicians are having them do, take, try, et cetera. And if I create a more compliant patient, I create greater clinical outcomes. And it's such a great continuum if you think about that, but it comes from not one more new thing in 2022. It actually comes from what we know works and simplifying it greatly. We've been out in the field. We've been out in traffic with this message. And I got to tell you, you've never seen so many heads nod up and down. You've never seen so many smiles on nurses' faces, points of agreement with this whole notion. And it sort of just comes back to, let's take a couple rocks out of their backpack. Well, I mean, that's a perfect analogy. And I love the simplification part. You know, you'd also reference the to stop list along with to do. And, you know, I think about it from the patient point of view and the research side of what we do is if if you're only asking one question, it probably allows the patient to talk to you a little bit and to add anything else that they think is important from their side instead of us trying to predetermine all the things that are important and leaving them with nothing else. So I love that approach of what 2022 is. But let's say someone is starting in healthcare today, it's their day one. You bump into them in an elevator and they say, what's one piece of advice you would give me to start on this first day of my career? What would you say to them? Well, I'll make it quick because there's actually two. One is don't believe the phrase, if it is to be, it's up to me. There's real power in relationships in healthcare, whether it's someone that's mentoring you whether it's you mentoring someone or whether it's a, just a relationship you've had with somebody that just goes on and on and on for years is don't underestimate the power of relationships. If you watch who wants to be a millionaire, statistically, the most successful lifeline is ask the audience, which what, what that really means is 200 heads are better than one. So that's the first piece of advice. Second piece of advice is one I hear from my colleague, Quint Studer, all the time, be kind to yourself. We beat ourselves up. You know, for years, we had people convinced that the phrase, people don't leave their job, they leave their boss. But the last two and a half years have demonstrated more than ever, there are a number of reasons that people leave their jobs. And when we talk about sort of disrupting our own phrases that people leave for other reasons than their boss, it's almost like you see their shoulders come up a couple of inches because you've told them they're actually a better boss than they thought they were. So be kind to yourself. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself some space in this world of leadership and, and you'll do just fine. I love that. Be kind to yourself and reach out to others. The relationship aspect is something we absolutely need to get through these times. You've given us a lot to think about and a lot to feel inspired about. Dan, how can people find you? Sure. You can come to our website. It's www.healthcareplussg.com. And my direct email is dan at healthcareplussg.com. And we've always made a habit of just giving our direct line out, 850-291-5151. I always love it when people take advantage of that just to reach out. I did a webinar for some ACHE mentor mentees the other day in North Texas, and I made the same offer. And, you know, it was just a thrill to have five or six of them reach out with some very similar questions. So love to have folks reach out if we can help in any way. 
Well, your phone number might turn into a hotline. You might be a little bit of a therapist, some people who are chewing on these ideas, but you've given the patient no longer podcast a lot to think about. And we'll make sure we'll put your contact info in the episode description as well. I want to thank you for being on today's episode. Hey, thanks for having me and great questions today. Good food for thought. I want to thank all of our listeners today. Be sure to check out this episode and others. And of course, shoot me any feedback you want, future guests, all that good stuff. And we will catch you again another time on the Patient No Longer podcast by NRC Health. Thank you.